We'll open up to Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. That's the passage we'll be looking at this morning as we continue our series on Galatians, looking at the rescue, the gospel of grace in the book of Galatians. And as you're turning there, I want you to think, do you ever have questions about your faith? Do you ever wonder, why is it you believe what you believe? Is it really true? Do you ever struggle with doubts? Do you wonder, do I just believe this because somebody told it to me? Because I was raised this way? Because I go to a church and they say this and and I, I just believe it and I've never really thought much about it? Do we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we believe in God's word and and living a life for Christ just because we want to be better people? We want to do something with our lives, make something of ourselves? Do you ever wonder, is God truly in control? Is, Is there really a God? Is he really in control of these things? These are not new questions. They have been around forever. And Paul faced them. And in this passage in Galatians, he's going to dig into some of these questions, these challenges to his ministry and to his message and deal with some of them. And we're going to look at how he answers some of these questions in Galatians 1, 11 through 24. And before we look there, just a quick overview of the book in case you're you're joining us uh, partway through this study. Paul, as an apostle and a, mis- and a missionary, he traveled around this region of Galatia early in his ministry and planted several churches. This book is written to those churches. It would have been written to pass around to the various churches. After Paul left the area and the churches were planted, other teachers came along, as was typical in churches and in the Jewish synagogues. Other teachers, kind of roaming teachers, would come through and teach. And these specific teachers would go through the churches that Paul planted and say, yes, Jesus is great. Yes, it's great that God sent his son. Yes, he's the Messiah. But you also need to live up to the Old Testament law. Now, these were Gentiles. They were not Jewish people. The Old Testament law had not been given to them. It was not their salvation. It was never anybody's salvation. It was to point to Jesus. But these teachers would come in and say, yes, God's great. Yes, Jesus Christ. But you also have to do all these ritual acts of righteousness. Otherwise, you are not truly saved. And they would criticize Paul. They would say that he only taught part of the truth. That his message was only part of what they needed to believe. They would argue that he was a second class apostle. That they were from the true leadership of the true church in Jerusalem. And so the people needed to listen to them. The world has always tried to undermine the gospel of Jesus Christ. By criticizing those who believe in the gospel and those who teach it. Thomas Jefferson, one of the founders of our country, famously said... Paul, the apostle, was the first corrupter of the doctrines of Jesus. That's how he saw Paul. Because he believed that that he knew the gospel and he didn't have to pay attention to the rest of the New Testament. And he was very drastically wrong on that. And in today's passage, Paul defends the gospel in three ways. 
He, he talks about its origin. He says, I didn't make this up. Nobody made this up. I have received the good news of Jesus Christ and salvation through his name through God or from God. It was revealed to me. I didn't make it up. He then goes on to tell his testimony to show that no human effort caused the change in his life. He didn't clean himself up. He didn't fix himself up. He's not the one that changed himself. And that's what these Jewish teachers were coming in and teaching. You need to change yourself. You need to fix yourself. And Paul's saying that was never what Jesus said. We can't do it. Only God can. He also says that his message and his ministry are under the authority of the gospel, not strictly under human authority. Now, this is not to say that Paul didn't believe in any authority in the church. He absolutely did. He planted elders in his churches. He taught people to be leaders. He sent workers ahead and behind him to to provide some leadership in the churches. But here, these false teachers are trying to pull rank and say they are higher up in authority than Paul. They are from the more spiritual leadership, the very mouthpiece of God in Jerusalem. And Paul's saying, that's not the way the gospel works. We are all under the authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at some of these questions that he's going to deal with. And the first one is is on the origin of the gospel. Are we making this up? Or Paul, Paul, are you making this up? This is your gospel. It's man-made. Let's look at verses 11 through 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. People will often say, well, all cultures have their religion and and all histories and all all different people groups and they all kind of over the ages made up these religions and that's why they're all equal and you could just choose whatever you want. Paul will have none of that. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nobody made this up. It was directly from God to us. I sent my son to die in your place to save you because you can't do it yourself. Paul didn't make this up. The gospel is not of human origins. Think about Paul's experience. He refers in in the next passage we'll look at in a bit. But in verses 13 to 14, he says, You have heard of my previous way of life. He's going to talk about his testimony. He says, My previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age and among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father's. Paul says, look, you want to know where I come from. You want to talk about what I made up, what I thought was right. He's like, there it is. That's what I was. You want to talk about what was of my origin, there it is. I was climbing the social and religious and and even within the Jewish communities, the political ladder. Paul's saying, I was something. I was making something of myself. I was following following all of your rules and regulations and teaching others to do the same. We first meet Paul in scripture at the time called Saul. That was probably more of his Hebrew name. And in Greek communities or Greek-speaking people, he would have been called Paul. We meet him in Acts chapter 7. He's an up-and-coming Pharisee. Pharisees were a group of leaders in the Jewish community that were zealous for purifying the Jewish people so that God would send the Messiah. 
And they believed if we could get people to so closely follow the Old Testament law, return to the old ways, do the things they need to do as good Jewish people, if we could do that, then the nation of Israel would be righteous once again. And when we're righteous, the Messiah will come. It is the upside-down gospel. It is the inside-out, inverted gospel. The upside-down gospel says, fix yourself up and then Jesus will love you. The true gospel says, you can't fix yourself up. Jesus loves you and he will change you because you can't do it yourself. He also believed as a Pharisee, somewhat differently than some other religious leaders, he believed in the resurrection of the dead. He believed that this life was not all there was. Now this might seem kind of a nitpicky detail at that time, but it's important for Paul's testimony. As a Pharisee, he believed that if you lived a righteous life, God would raise you to new life when you passed away. And that those who crossed over from that first life to the second life, they must have been approved by God. Something good was there. Because that's what God did with righteous people. We also learn in Acts chapter 7, Paul is there as a leader, overseeing giving approval to the stoning, the murder, of a man by the name of Stephen. That's how zealous he was in his religion. That those who went against that, those who were teaching about this this heretic called Jesus, they needed to be put to death. That's how he would purify his people and bring about the coming of the Messiah. The irony, those who believe in the Messiah need to be put to death so that the Messiah will come. This is what Paul believed. In Acts chapter 9, we pick up the story. He's going to Damascus to arrest Christians and put them on trial, the sort of trials that would often lead to exactly what happened with Stephen putting them to death. And Jesus appears to him. Now again, this is where we get into the that what I said was a nitpicky theological issue about the resurrection of the dead. Here he is as a Pharisee his whole life. He believes that only those that are righteous are risen to new life. And this guy that he knows was crucified, he knows was put to death, that was never in doubt, is suddenly right there and alive. And his theology, what he believes about God, is if he's alive, God is saying he's righteous. And if he's righteous then everything he has ever said has to be true. And everything that Paul just thought he knew about salvation gets thrown in the dumpster. And he has a lot to learn about Jesus Christ. Jesus makes Paul a missionary to the Gentiles. This guy that was so trying to purify the Jewish nation gets sent outside the Jewish nation to the non-Jewish people, the people that the Jewish people tended to hate. And that's where God sends him. And Paul says that he did not receive the gospel by listening to what others said. Nobody sat down with Paul and said, Paul, let's really think through what you believe here. Let's just go, because I can go point by point with you and disprove what you believe and convince you Jesus is the way. That didn't happen with Paul. Would have never have happened with Paul. He was a scholar. He was a religious scholar. He was a biblical scholar. He was not going to be changed in what he believed. And so what Paul's pointing to is, guys, listen, I didn't make this up. I would have never, based on who I was and where I was going, I would never have thought that you could be saved by Jesus Christ. Except 
Jesus showed up. And that changed everything. He says the gospel is, is from God to us. It is God breaking into what we think we know, what we claim to know, and saying, let me tell you the way it is. And the truth is, God's always worked this way. Always. Think about Abraham. Abraham wasn't sitting around going, man, I think I should really give up everything I have and go travel over there so that God can do something amazing with me. No, God shows up to Abraham and says, Abraham, do this. I have a plan for you. Think about Moses. Moses wasn't running away from Egypt thinking, man, I really want to go back. I'm going to be the guy to save my people, even though I totally betrayed them and ran away. I'm going to be the guy that saves them. It's because God showed up to Moses and said, this is what you're going to do. It wasn't a man-made call. Think about David. David didn't sit around thinking, you know what? I've been pretty good. I think God should make me a promise that some, somebody, my offspring, should always sit on the throne. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. God came to David and said, this is what I'm going to do. Somebody from your line will always sit on the throne of Israel. And it was pointing to the coming Messiah. Think about the Christmas story. We're not that far from Christmas right now. Who would think that up? Right? Shepherds? I mean, if it was a man-made story, it would have been written very, very differently. But God wrote the story. God came to us. In fact, the very name that's given to Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God came to us. He initiated. It is not man-made. Think about Jesus' baptism. A voice from heaven declares, this is my son whom I love. It's not the people standing around going, oh, what do you think about him? Well, I think maybe he's God's son. No, God says it. It is from God. John 14, 7, Jesus speaks and says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The good news about how God saves us has always come from God. It has never been made up by people. And it has always been about Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, I received this from God. What I passed on to you was not the Paul message. It was the Jesus message. And you don't mess with the Jesus message. And Paul would apply that truth not only to what he preached about the gospel, but all of Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness. That's why, as, as a church, we dig into the Word of God. You don't need to hear Dave Day's good thoughts on living. Okay? You don't. You can ask my kids. They, they would say, no, you shouldn't have to put up with that. All right? We all need this. We need to dig into the Word of God. Are you making this up? Is your gospel that you trust in, is it made up by you? Or is it the very Word of God? Paul says, I didn't make this up. This is from Jesus Christ. So who did this? Paul's going to go on to talk about this change in his life. Let's go back and start in verse 13. And look at verses 13 through 17. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son 
in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Who made the change in Paul's life? Here we get to look at the beauty of grammar. Don't you love grammar? Just a beautiful thing. That was like one of my least favorite subjects in school. I get it. It's important. And now I can see why. And it's actually very helpful. But look at the grammar here. What or who is the subject of the early verses in this passage? Look at verses 13 and 14. You have heard of my previous way of life in Jerusalem. Now now look at what he's going to talk about. How I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. It was about Paul here. Look at me. This is what I did. Verse 14. I. I was advancing. He's going, look, you want to see what I claim for myself? Here it is. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Those two verses are completely focused on Paul. That's Paul doing Paul's thing, trying to make Paul the best Paul that he can. And then look at the massive switch in verse 15. But when God. You see the subject change? And look at the next couple verses. What does God do? Who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Do you see what difference God made in his life? You want to ask what made the difference to Paul? And I've always said, I believe that Paul's testimony, the change in Paul's life, is the second greatest proof of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first is the resurrection of Jesus himself. Because I believe there is no way to explain a change in somebody like Paul except for God stepping into his life and Jesus appearing to him. Because Paul had a very determined track and he was going to go down it and he did a complete 180. And nobody convinced him of it other than Jesus Christ. So we see what Paul was trying to do, and then we see what God did. And so when people looked at Paul's life and his ministry, and maybe when they look at you, and they ask, who did this? Why are you the way you are? The answer shouldn't be, well, I've always tried to be a good person and I've always gone to church and I try to read my Bible three times a day and, and I try to tithe regularly and I, I try to be, do... It, that's all me, me, me. It should be, well, God sent his son. God paid for my sins on the cross through Jesus Christ. God rose his son from the dead. God called out to me. God reached me with the gospel. God has brought me into his family. It's all God. Who did this? What is the application of the gospel? How does transformation and salvation take place? It is because of God. Paul says more about this in Philippians chapter 3. He lays out his impressive credentials. If someone else thinks they have reason to to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. That 
is quite a resume. I mean, if he was applying at a synagogue for some sort of a position and they saw a resume, resume like that, done, bring him in. This guy's the best Jewish teacher we could possibly hope for. And look at what Paul says next. Philippians chapter 3, 7 through 9, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He doesn't just say those things aren't important anymore. He says they're worthless. They were actually hindrances. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. And that is such a strong word in the Greek. Garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul is saying unequivocally, he didn't make this gospel up, and his life cannot be explained by being changed by mere human effort. He says this is all of God. The difference in Paul's life came from the gospel. What about us? What do people see in our hearts? First of all, do they see a change? Second of all, when they look at a change, which hopefully they are seeing, are they just going to say, well, you're just so amazing. Look at how wonderful you are. Look at how, what a great home life you have. And look at your amazing church with its beautiful building. And do we stop there and go, yeah, we did that. It was great. We, we really did a great job there. Or do we stop and say, this is all the blessing of the Lord. I got to tell you, in this renovation, as with much of life, I feel like we're just running to keep up with God. Okay, God, you're going, man. You just maybe slow down a little bit for a little bit. But hopefully when people see it and they see our feeble efforts, they go, wow, God was really in this because I know it wasn't really all you guys. You guys are great. Don't get me wrong. But this is of God. How much more important is it for them to look at our lives and say, look at what you've learned about Jesus. Look at the change he's made in your life. Look at the addictions that have been overcome. Look at the sin that you've been set free of. Look at the choices that you make. And each and every one, we need to say, that is because God has done this through Jesus Christ. And he can do the same with you. It's all of God. Which then leads to the third question. Who is in charge? Because these teachers wanted to come in and say, yeah, Paul, you know, he's okay, but... We represent the apostles in Jerusalem. We represent the true mother church. And he's given you some of it, but we're going to give you the rest of it. You need to listen to us. The early church started in Jerusalem as the apostles preached the gospel. Absolutely. But then it spread from there as these believers, these people that came to know Jesus as their Savior, traveled. Many of them were there for a festival, and then they went back to their homes, and the gospel went with them. They took it with them, and they preached, and they taught, and they shared casually the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it spread like wildfire. Some of the apostles also went out intentionally on these missionary journeys, like Paul, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel spread around the Roman Empire. Look at what Paul says in verses 18 through 24 as he talks more about his background. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. 
I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. See, these teachers were trying to claim that Paul was under their authority. That they had the right to correct what he was teaching. And Paul's saying, wait a minute. That's, that's never been a part of my story. I was never under your authority. I, I was never under your school of training. I mean, I was under schools of training, and that was all the stuff that I consider garbage now. I'm not under your authority. After Paul's salvation, he does not immediately start traveling and, uh, as a missionary. Oh, he starts preaching the gospel right away, for sure. But he takes some time, and he goes off, and he spends many years Scripture doesn't really tell us exactly what he did. I believe he spent much of that time reviewing everything he had ever learned as a Pharisee and as a Jewish child and equating that with, how does Jesus fit? I think suddenly everything he knew about God was turned on its head and had to be reinterpreted in light of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Paul says in verse 18, he went to Jerusalem and met Cephas, also known as Peter, And he makes the point that he didn't spend much time with the other apostles. Why? Is he putting them down? Does does Paul think bad things about the other apostles, about Peter, about James? No, absolutely not. We can go to other passages of Scripture. Acts 15 is a good one where Paul listened to and sat under their teaching and and allowed them to make decisions, decisions on important things. But what he wants to make clear here is that the ultimate authority in his life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Period. Could we say the same? It does not mean that God never works through human authority. God does use human authority. Paul talks about uh, having authority in the churches. As I said before, he sets up elders in these churches. But it does mean that there is no one central human authority over all the churches in the world. There isn't. God never gave that kind of authority to any human, only Jesus Christ. Look at verses 23 to 24. Talks about these people that hear what happened to him. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. He says, this is what I was. I was the guy that formerly persecuted the church. What is he now? He is preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And don't miss this. Who gets all the credit? God. And they praised God because of me. When the gospel is from God, when lives are changed by God through Jesus Christ, when all of the authority is under God's authority, then God gets all the praise. Rather than some puffed up teacher saying, look how great I am. Look how amazing my teaching is. Those other guys are okay, but I know better. Paul says, let's all come under the authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what do we do with Paul's story? The first is we need to understand at the core of what we believe as Christians is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a man-made thing. 
This was not some myth written over years by particular cultures to make them feel better. This is the very word of God that broke into sinful humanity to save us because we can't do it ourselves. The gospel is not man-made. We need to trust that any righteousness we have comes from Jesus Christ and not from our own efforts. This is so hard. We love to hear that. Yes, I want to be made righteous by God. But in day-to-day life, we struggle to let go of the reins. Yes, God, I want to be righteous in your your sight. And here's what I'm doing to fix myself up and make myself so much better so that I can be righteous. And God's going, no, no, no. You're missing it. Grace says, I'm doing this in you. Trust me. We need to submit to the authority of the word of God. Just like Paul was saying, he says, this isn't my authority. And he's looking at these false teachers, sure not your authority. He says, it's God's authority through the gospel, through his word. And lastly, I pray that we would all realize the power of telling what Christ has done in our lives. I hear constantly people saying, I don't know how to tell others about Jesus Christ. Tell them your story. Tell them what he's done in your life. Tell them how you heard the gospel. Tell them the difference that Christ has made. Never, ever undervalue the story that God has given you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is your greatest tool in sharing the gospel with other people. Parents, I'm going to challenge you. Because I think, and and maybe maybe I'm wrong, I'm hoping I'm wrong. I think most parents have never shared with their kids how they received Jesus as their Savior. Start there. We do dinner for eights as a church, and I know a constant or often a question that comes up at the dinner for eights, kind of a discussion starter. Hey, tell us how you received Jesus. I love that. It's so great to hear other people's story. Paul uses this technique over and over in his letters. He says, let me tell you how I came to know Jesus. Never sell yourself short. Because when you sell your, your own story short, what you're actually doing is selling the gospel of Jesus Christ short. Let people hear that they might hear and praise God because of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have questions. And the people in our lives have questions about us and about what we believe. Sometimes they're honest questions. Sometimes maybe they're critical questions or mean-spirited. But I pray that we would look to Paul here as an example of how to deal with these things, to hold up the gospel of Jesus Christ, to downplay our involvement in, in humility and understanding that it's all of Jesus, to point to the authority of your word, And to say that it's all about you and about your glory. And Father, I pray this week, people in this room would go out into their their homes, their places of work, their, their communities, and they would share the story of what you have done and are doing in their lives. And just watch how you use that in the lives of the people around them. Thank you for Jesus Christ who makes all the difference in the world. In your name we pray. Amen.